Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here with us this morning to kick off this series. Let me just start by asking, how many of you uh, have a family? How many of you have a family? How many of you came from a family? Good, good. It's good to, good to see that I'm not alone up here, that uh, we all have that in common. How many of you know, I'm going to ask another couple quick questions here. How many of you know that families are messy? Yeah, yeah, a couple of you do, yep. Sometimes we look at other people's families and we think that, you know, our family's more screwed up than someone else's. Have you ever thought that? Like, man, oh God. And, and we tend to think of families that we see that look good on the outside, kind of like this little family up here. We think, yeah, other people, their, their lives are probably together. They probably have it together. But, the, you know, this is probably more like a lot of American families today, right? A little modern family, little different, little some, some different kinds of mess going on. And uh, we all have mess in our lives and in our families. And we, we don't have any, do we? No, ours, because we're, you know, we're up here, so we must not have any, right? <laughs> we got mess, we got stuff, if you had enough time to listen. But I'm not gonna bore you with that. But you know, we all do, we all have issues. And how, do you know that some of it, you don't have to raise your hands on this, but some of it has been passed down. And that's great news, we get to blame someone else. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> no, but seriously though, some of the mess in our lives has been passed down by our parents or our grandparents or other people. Um, and so, you know, what do you do with that? Well, we're gonna talk about that because in this series called Families Are Messy, we're gonna look at the scripture and we're gonna spend some time in the book of Genesis and we're gonna look at some really screwed up biblical families. Did you know that in the Bible, it doesn't really gloss over some of the mess that's there? And we're gonna look at the patriarchs, the fathers of our faith, and we're gonna look at uh, some of Abraham's life and some of Isaac's life, and Jacob's life, and Joseph's life, and we're gonna see and learn some things that will help us from their lives. And, Tisa. This is Tisa, by the way, my lovely wife. She's just so enthralled with me talking. She forgot that she was actually up here to talk to. Aha. Boom. All right. Well, before I read that scripture in Genesis, I just want to know how many of you here are parents? Okay, a lot of people. How many of you had parents? It's <laughs> trying to get a wide net here, I folks. Think the right yeah. people are here. So, but so often we see in our own parenting style either a repetition of or a reaction to the way that we were parented as children. Do you ever find yourself saying something like, I can't believe I just sat, said that I sound just like my mom or I sound just like my dad. Um, the older I get, the more and more I realize how much I am like my mother. Um, mannerisms and habits that she had, she passed down to me. They're becoming more and more distinct, more in my face, more evident. Mike laughs about it all the time, things I do that are just like her. But my mom used to go all over the house. We lived in a big, a big old farmhouse with big giant rooms. And 
she would go all over the house just talking to herself. And sometimes I'd walk in a room and I'd go, what? And she'd say, oh, she just laughed. I thought she was talking to someone, me, anybody. But she'd say, I'm just talking to myself. And um, That's really creepy when you do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but lately, I've been, um, I think it's just lately, I've been. Just last week. <laughs> I've been kind of doing the same thing. And um, Michael walk around the corner. You know, we're empty nesters, so normally nobody else is there. Michael walk around the corner, and um, he'll go, what'd you say? And I'll go, oh, I was just talking to myself. <laughs> I, another thing that my mom did is she was obsessed with the weather. Um, East Texas has some crazy weather. It's very hard to predict it. It's not consistent. You can't depend on it for outdoor events or anything. But she loved a good storm. She loved to see a storm roll in, a norther, if it was going to get cold. She was out watching the window and trying to see where the storm or the clouds were rolling. And you're like that, too. A little bit. I mean, I think she's a Mr. Calling. She should have been a meteorologist. I should have been a she's meteorologist. She's constantly you know, telling me about high pressure curves and <laughs> troughs coming in and all of that. I do. I love the weather. I, I'm obsessed with it. I just. We live in this house where we can see like the storms roll in from South Hill, where like you can see like sheets of rain actually coming. It's, I love it. It's really pretty neat. But anyway, in the same way that we pick up those mannerisms and habits and our likes and dislikes um, from our parents, we also often parent in a similar way that our parents parented us. And that can be healthy if you grew up in a, a really healthy, life-affirming, loving way by your parents, um, but it also can be um, negative in the sense if you didn't have that um, growing up. So well, I wanted us to turn to um, Genesis 12 and look at Abraham and see how family mess was passed down. So Genesis 12, if you have a Bible or an iPhone or whatever, um, verses 10 through 20, and um, we'll read that real quick. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? Let's kill him, then we can have her. So please, tell them you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into the palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent ter uh, terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. So look back at this verse 10, and you'll see that there's a famine that drove Abraham down to Egypt. It says at that time a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abraham to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. And let me just say parenthetically that it's important to kind of note here 
that one of the reasons why we can have a tender heart towards immigrants and towards those who are refugees is because as we look in the scripture, we see many of the patriarchs and many of our fathers of the faith in that same situation, fleeing from one country to another because of economic reasons or political unrest, or even sometimes in the case of Jesus' family, they fled to Egypt because of genocide. And so uh, we want to embrace those that are in that situation with God's heart because God has a heart for the alien, that God has a heart for the foreigner and for the person who's fleeing persecution in order to find safe refuge. But in verse 16, it says, then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. And I don't know what you call that, but you know, like selling, he's receiving money for his wife to become someone else's wife. That's twisted. That's weird. That's messed up. And Genesis 12, 17 says, but the Lord didn't like it. He sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Pharaoh was angry at this lie. And he said, why did you lie to me and tell me that she was your sister? Pharaoh, um, was angry, but you, you almost wonder what, what, was, what was going through Abraham's mind? Why would he have done that? And there was some bad stuff that came out of that decision that got passed down and handed down uh, to future generations. And we'll look at that in a moment. But I think part of the reason that that happened was that Abraham was plagued with fear. Here he is in a foreign country, he had no civil rights. Um, and so that would create uh, anxiety, that, that would create fear. But beyond that, he also knew that Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, was continually adding beautiful women into his harem. And he was afraid that, that that harm might come to him. And so he thought, man, we've got to come up with a story here. And so you, you just say that you're my sister and I'll say that. And, you know, I will get rich through that. But hey, you know, let's just play it out that way. I think oftentimes one of the things that cause us to cut corners, break integrity, is this lack of trust in God, in his plan for our lives. You remember that God had given Abraham a promise. He would be the father of many nations and that through him and Sarah that, that we would be blessed, that light would come to the whole world. And yet Abraham had a very difficult time trusting that. Have you ever struggled with trust? Trust in something that maybe God had told you, promised for you, something that, uh, some aspect of God's character that you had a struggle trusting and so you ended up cutting corners? Do you ever struggle believing that God will do what he said he would do? Or have the inability to trust God in areas, simple areas sometimes, like maybe just getting a good job? Have you ever been in that situation? I mean, I think we've all cut corners at times. And it's easy to, to be in that situation where you're like, man, if I'm gonna get a good job, I prayed a couple times, it hasn't happened yet, so I better pad my resume, and, you know, and kind of make myself look better than I actually am. Maybe put a few software programs on there that I don't really know and hope they don't ask. You know, have you, or maybe, maybe you have a difficult time trusting God financially, and so 
You cheat on your taxes, or you cheat God out of the tithe, or whatever. See, the root of this, of this lying and this kind of cutting corners is this lack of trust in God and his goodness and his promises and his character. And it's the same with Abraham. So what are the consequences of Abraham's sin? Well, uh, it didn't just stay with him. It didn't just stay within his generation. Matter of fact, the past doesn't stay the past. It often shows back up in future generations. And we see that very thing happening in his life, in the life of his son, Isaac. If you have a Bible, turn over to Genesis 26, uh, verse 1. And this is really crazy as you read this, because what you'll see in his son, that's years later through his son, a whole different generation, a very similar circumstance happens. A severe famine struck the land. And as had happened before in Abraham's time, so Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. Now, keep in mind that Isaac's wife is Rebekah. And when the men who lived there, it says in verse 7, asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she's my sister. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. But some time later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and he saw Isaac caressing, caressing Rebekah. I mean, it's deja vu all over again. Isn't it fascinating that it's almost the same situation and the same lie, the exact same lie that he ends up telling? Why is that? Because sin is passed down. And unless someone stands in the gap and says, it's not going to continue this way. It's going to stop with me. It's going to stop in my generation. Do, do you see any of that pattern in your own life as you look back? You see anything that's been passed down to you that you struggle with? Maybe, maybe you had a, a, a father that was super stern, never told you that he loved you. And so it can end up plaguing us with, with senses of insecurity and always trying to win people's approval and never feeling like we fully measure up. Or maybe, maybe you were raised in a family that neglected you a lot as a kid. Or maybe even abandoned. And then you, you struggle today with fear. Fear of maybe that same thing happening again. Fear of your spouse leaving you, your boyfriend leaving you. Fear of just being left at a, at a shopping mall. Whatever it might be. And those things can come back to us and, and, and be involved in our own life. So what do you do? I mean... Maybe you see that happening in your kids. It can show up at an early age in the life of our own kids. We see some of the things that we deal with that we, maybe our parents or grandparents dealt with and, and they haven't been dealt with yet. And all of a sudden we see our kids with some of the same exact anxiety or the same perfectionism or the same addiction or the same promiscuity or the same struggle with materialism and money. Do you see any family patterns in your own life or maybe showing up in the life of your kids? Yeah, I, I definitely do. And not everything um, that's passed down is as lighthearted as I shared about my mom and uh, her loving the weather and talking to herself. Another big deal my parents both passed down to me is they made a big deal out of Christmas and they passed that down to me and I 
That's really, a good thing. I'm thankful yeah. for that one, yeah. Um, but anyway, on a more serious note, my dad had a huge uh, anger issue. He, um, he had outbursts of anger. My grandpa did too. Um, it was a common thing in my household to um, have my parents just yelling and screaming back and forth at each other and um, just outbursts of anger constantly. I often hid to escape from it. I would go outside and wander around with the cows and the horses and play in the mud and the creeks for hours on end just to escape it and not be around it. Um, and I never wanted friends over. Um, but unfortunately, all of that led to me dealing with the same thing. Um, when Mike and I were first married, I realized how much I struggle with that same anger issue, probably for about five or so more years. Um, and I didn't really know how to argue in a godly way. And there is a godly way to argue. It's not wrong to argue, you just need to know how to do it. Um, but with a lot of prayer and a, a lot of diligent work and getting the right people around me, um, I've been able to break that stronghold in my life. And um, it's, it no longer has a hold on me. I still get mad at Mike. I just, <laughs> I don't have outbursts of anger. I just give him the silent treatment. <laughs> That's better, yeah. Just kidding, <laughs> sort of. But um, my sweet mom, my late mom, um, she didn't get away without passing down some of her sins to me as well. Um, my mom was a huge worrier. If there ever was a worrier, it was my mom. And guess what? My precious little four foot eight Polish-speaking grandma, she was a worrier. And surprise, guess who else is? See, y'all are learning a lot about me today but I worry far too much. It's, it's just, you know, it points back to a lack of trust in God. Um, and our sins affect our kids and our grandkids and our parents' sins affect us. Just to give you more of a visual, it's kind of like if you're standing out in front of a lake and you have a big rock in your hand. Um, you can make a choice to whether you're gonna put the rock down or whether you're gonna toss the rock in the lake. If you make the choice to toss the rock in the lake, you're gonna have no control over the ripple effect, how far out those ripples go. And so if you're a parent and you're choosing to sin, you're choosing to have that affair, or you're choosing to get a divorce without biblical grounds, you're choosing to drink too much and get drunk, um, you're choosing to lie to your clients, you're choosing to yell and scream in front of your kids, those choices that you're making, throwing that rock, you're not gonna have any control over the far, how far out those ripples go in your children's lives. And it's really also true that our parents, their sin form patterns, not just ripples, but patterns. And addiction specialists tell us that if, if you have an alcoholic parent, that you're far more likely than the general population to develop that problem in your own life or some sort of addictive personality. It's interesting because, you know, even when we were dating, and I was single at the time, and, and, and looking back, I mean, I didn't know any of the research or stuff, but I just knew in my heart that I was susceptible to some of the things that my dad and his mom uh, had in their life. For example, my grandmother had uh, been divorced six times and married seven different men. And my dad had divorced um, two times and had three different wives. And so, you know, 
I'm scared spitless thinking I'm going to go into a marriage and this same thing's going to come back to haunt me. I know it will. And I just knew that as a young single guy. And it's one of the reasons I was so afraid to get married. And so I had to really bring that stuff to God and do some business with God in, in those areas in my own life. Yeah, and actually the Bible talks about that in Exodus uh, the, uh, 20, Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. It says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But... I lavish unfailing love on a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Our sins do have generational ripple effect, but the good news is, is that we can start today by asking God to help us change. We can get the right people in our lives to help us change. And the positive ripple effects on your children can actually become stronger than those sin effects. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. We found this amazing example of kind of what Tisa is saying in, that comes from history. And uh, it's this powerful generational influence of previous generations on their own family descendants. And in 1874, a member of the New York State Prison Board noticed that six members of the very same family were incarcerated at the same time. So the board did some research. They're looking back into, few, into uh, previous generations to try to find out where did it all start, this tragic legacy. And they traced it back to this guy by the name of Max Jukes, who was born in 1720. And he was considered, as they did the research, he was considered by the community, a lazy, godless person without any kind of a good reputation. He was a town troublemaker. He was an alcoholic. And in addition to that, he ends up marrying a woman very much the same. Well, they had six daughters and two sons. And here's what the report of approximately 1,200 descendants that were looked at of this couple who were alive at 1874. 310 were homeless. 160 were prostitutes. 180 were alcoholics. 150 were criminals who spent time in prison, including seven for murder. I mean, what an example of negative ripples, negative patterns. The report said that the state of New York spent $1.25 million back then to care for this line of descendants. And they couldn't find one descendant who had made a positive impact in the, in the community, in the society. I mean, those harmful dysfunctions are so easy to ripple out and create patterns. But let me give you a good one, okay? Another family heritage was studied of a, of a positive effect of a couple. And, and you may know this name, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, uh, some of you know, he's one of the great Puritan preachers. He was born in 1703. And he, he, uh, he was a Christ follower. And he had this strong moral conviction and he, had a, he was a dedicated father and family man. He married another strong follower of Jesus. By the, uh, her name was Sarah, who shared his faith and they had 11 children together. And eventually, this is what the research shows from his 
1,400 different descendants. Well, first of all, he became the president of Princeton University. But as you look at the 1,400 descendants that came after him, three generations worth, Edwards, uh, by 1874, 13 of them were college presidents. 65 were college professors. 100 were attorneys. 100 were missionaries. 30 were state judges. 85 were authors of classic books. 66 were doctors. 80 held political office, including three state governors, three state senators, and one became the vice president of the United States. What a difference it makes. Maybe, maybe you could become that one that changes the tide of history, that changes the generations to something that leads to positive ripple effect in your life and in the life of your kids and your kids' kids for generations to come. You see, sins can be passed down. They are passed down. But so are blessings. So are opportunities. There's these positive ripple effects that God wants to happen in our lives and in our families' lives. Maybe you look at, as you've been listening, you're looking at your own life and saying, I see some of those negative traits that are there. I see some of that, those, those sins that are there that I can look back and see in my, in my parent, one of my parents or in my grandparents. Do I, do I have to pay for their sins? I mean, is it just going to be this way the rest of my life? Look at this next passage found in Ezekiel chapter 18, starting in verse 19. This is what God says. What, you ask? Doesn't the child pay for the parent's sin? No. For if the child does what is right and just and right and keeps my decrees, that child will surely live. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if wicked people turn away from all their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what is just and right, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten, and they will live because of the righteous things they have done. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. That is God's word. That is God's heart. That none would perish. That none would stay stuck in their sins. That no family cycle or generational thing would land on you and stay on you. This is the way my dad was. This is the way my family is. I guess I'm just kind of stuck for this destiny the rest of my life. No, you're not. You see, change happens when we recognize change is needed. It doesn't happen any other way. We have to know that I need a change in my life. There's something there. And so if we're going to deal with these sin patterns, it means we've got to get honest. We've got to go to God and we've got to pray. And we have to ask him, Lord, is there anything here that I'm missing? Is there this blind spot in my life? Something that has been passed down that's in me that's going to end up in my kids and in their kids if it doesn't stop. Get alone with God. 
Ask him. Ask him to show you. And God will bring it to the light. And then when he does, have the courage to deal with it. Don't deny it. Don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't blame shift it onto somebody else. God, give me the courage to do whatever it takes to get healing. Give me the courage to be the one in this generational lineage that stops that thing and changes the course and the trajectory of my kids' lives. And if you want family mess to stop with you, it can. You can be the generation of change. This is such a big deal. It's such a big deal because it's not just my life at stake here, my poor choices, my decisions, because it's our kids and their kids, and it goes on for descendants, thousands of descendants after us, and we can be the one that changes that course. You can be the one that changes that course. Family mess can stop with you. Let's pray together. God, we just want to come to you right now. We're asking, Lord, that you, Jesus, would open our eyes to see. God, we want to surrender to you. That's where it starts, is surrendering your destiny, surrendering your control over your life, surrendering to God and saying, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you to forgive sin. I want you to break every chain. I want you, Lord God, to be in me. Come in, Lord. Break these chains from grandparents and great-grandparents and even that are within my own life, God, that I can expect to see fruitfulness and freedom playing out in the lives of my kids and in my grandkids and in their kids. Jesus, we need that. Give us faith to see beyond ourselves and faith to see beyond our circumstance, to see what can be. I want to invite us just as a church family right now and you individually, each person, just to take ownership of what you should take ownership over. And let's stand in the gap today, right now, in this moment, and let's declare this thing to stop with us and for something brand new to start. Break every chain, God. Let's declare it in song. Yes, God, we pray that right now, God, break these chains. God, change the course of history in my life. Would you declare that over your own life? Lord, it's stopping with me. I'm no longer going to allow this to be passed down. God, I'm believing in the power of Jesus Christ spiritually to break the chain and the cycle of sin off of my life, Lord, those things that have been passed down. Lord, I'm taking responsibility today for that. And I'm asking the Lord for your great power to come in and break this thing off and change the trajectory of my life and of my children's life and of their children's life for descendants to come after me. Lord, for good things to happen, for blessing to be poured out. God, I will not permit the enemy to have any further work. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I take a stand today. And Lord, I confess my sin. And I'm asking God that you come in and forgive that sin. And I'm praying and I'm believing and I'm committed, God, to change the course 
of what has happened, what has been, will no longer be. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.